How do you convince a whole nation to stay at home? This is the problem the UK and most other countries around the world are grappling with at the moment. Looking at the UK's neighbours in Europe, a lot of options are available. In Italy, the lockdown is strictly enforced. Individuals in the northern provinces can only leave their homes with a signed sheet of paper declaring an official reason to go outside. In Greece, citizens must text a number to get permission to leave their homes before doing so. These strict measures are harder to enforce but potentially more effective. Other countries have taken a very different approach. Sweden hasn't attempted to implement extreme measures and has even kept many shops and public areas open. Instead, the Swedes rely on social pressure to keep people inside. Belarus is even more lenient, refusing to shut anything down. Even the Belarus Football League is still going ahead, with thousands of fans descending on their team's stadiums each weekend. At the heart of each of these decisions is a very clear scientific question. What response will cause the least damage to human life? But implementing these decisions creates more nuanced questions. Things like, who should deliver the message? How can we get people to wash their hands more? And what language will persuade people to stay indoors? Finding answers to those questions isn't easy, but behaviour science can help. Today I'll talk through some of the psychology behind the messages and slogans we've seen around coronavirus and identify what appears to be working and what doesn't resonate. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. In preparation for this episode, I chatted to John Jury. John is the Director of Research and Knowledge Exchange in the School of Psychology at Sussex University. He specialises in the psychology of crowds and collective action. John has worked with government agencies in the past, advising them on best practices around managing the movements of large groups of people. In a piece for The Psychologist, which is linked to in the show notes below, John challenges the message the government used to keep people indoors. One of the first messages used by the UK government tried to appeal to individual interests. 
This message, seen on posters, bus stops, TV ads and elsewhere, simply stated, wash your hands more often for 20 seconds. This type of message targets an individual's needs, telling them explicitly to change their behaviour. It appeals just on an individual level, suggesting you should change your behaviour for your own sake. But John argues that this is the wrong approach. He states that at a practical level, those at the least risk may feel it isn't really worthwhile to make changes only based on their own personal interests. Many may think they're not worried about getting the virus, so don't really need to wash their hands more. John's own research, published last year, looked at messages sent out during an emergency. He and his team discovered that when individuals stop thinking in terms of themselves and instead start thinking of a group of people, or more technically when they develop a sense of shared social identity, that's when they start to coordinate, support each other and ensure that the neediest get the greatest help. Similar research from Carter in 2013 suggests that when a threat is framed in a group rather than individual terms, the public response is more robust and more effective. Perhaps this shouldn't come as a surprise. We know from other studies that our behaviour changes when we consider other people's health instead of our own. For example, you are far less likely to crash your car if you're driving with an elderly relative or a young child. So looking again at the coronavirus response, it's clear that the government's messages shouldn't be personalised. Instead, they should be collectivised. It should highlight explicitly that one person's actions will seriously influence other people. Interestingly, in recent weeks, the UK government has started to change their messaging in line with this thinking. The slogan brought in around mid-March was Stay Home, Protect the NHS save lives. This is less personalised and a bit more focused on helping others. But the most recent slogan around the bank holiday weekend goes even further. It states, stay in this Easter, don't put your friends and family in danger. I've included a link to it in the show notes if you want to take a look. And this message clearly emphasises that it's a collective issue, not personal. A viewer can't read this and think, oh I won't bother going out because it won't hurt me. Instead, they are forced to think of their parents, grandparents or friends that might be at risk. If John's research is anything to go by, it should have a much better impact. It's not just the government's message that has evolved over time. The font, the colour and the design of the message has changed too. The first design, which stated, catch it, bin it, kill it, was a simple black font on a white background. The message was clear, but the image wasn't particularly distinctive and potentially wouldn't catch a viewer's eye. You can take a look at this first image and the more recent designs by clicking the link in the show notes. Now we know this design won't be effective if we look at research done way back in 1933 by Hedwig von Resteroff. Her study revealed what's now known as the von Resteroff effect, which shows that we're more likely to be drawn towards distinctive words, letters or colours. Work done by Richard Chimballo and Lewis Brink from the Damien College discovered that the von Resteroff effect is impacted by the viewer's age. In the study, 72 students and pensioners memorised a list in which one item was distinctive. Both groups recalled the distinctive item more, 
but it was significantly more pronounced amongst the younger age groups. If the government wants younger age groups, who are more likely to go out, to be aware of this message, then it needs to make the message distinct. The two designs released in March and then in April heed that advice. They now use distinctive neon or yellow colours with fewer words and a clearer message. But it's not the only way the government has applied nudge theory to their work. Richard Chatterway, vice president at the BVA, used to work for the government's nudge unit back in 2010. In his latest blog, he explains the best practice training they created for behaviour change communication used at times like these. By looking at the previous year's swine flu pandemic back in 2009, they found that information on desired behaviours was much more likely to be adhered to when communicated by the chief medical officer rather than by politicians. In other words, we follow the advice of doctors more than prime ministers. This shouldn't come as a surprise. Studies cited in Joseph Mark's book, Messengers, shows that patients are considerably more likely to remember health-beneficial messages from a doctor wearing a stethoscope, even if they know the doctor is really an actor. This is all down to something called the authority bias. It's our tendency to follow the lead of perceived independent authorities, particularly white-coated scientists. As the infamous Milgram experiments demonstrated, participants were willing to administer 450 volts of electricity to a complete stranger simply because a Yale scientist told them to do so. The UK government, possibly under advice from the nudge unit, seems to be following this approach. In briefings, ministers are flanked usually by the chief scientific officer or the chief medical officer. And in the UK's nationwide TV ad campaign for COVID-19, the chief medical officer, Professor Chris Whitty, shares the vital information rather than the Prime Minister or another politician. Richard Chatterway's BVA unit also had advice for increasing hand washing. Their research found that simply asking people to wash their hands is not particularly effective. A better approach is to make the risks of not washing your hands much more salient. The team increased the rates of hand washing by over 60% in a food processing plant simply by stamping people's hands with a harmless food dye when entering the factory. On the stamp were icons reminding them of relevant illnesses they could pick up, for example E. coli, and this constant reminder dramatically increased hand washing. That's great for adults, but what about for kids? Well, Save the Children realised that kids will struggle to fully comprehend the need to wash their hands more regularly. So they came up with a genius idea. They designed soap bars that contain a colourful toy in the centre. To get to the toy, the kids must wash their hands regularly to slowly erode the soap over time. This smart approach could make a big difference, especially in countries where hand washing is less common. But that alone won't solve the problem. Door handles are a prime way to spread viruses, simply because they are designed to be interactive with. We usually use our hands to push, pull or rotate these handles. The current pandemic makes these actions particularly problematic, as it appears that the virus can survive on surfaces for hours or even days. Roger Dooley writes in his blog that cruise lines have been coping with virus outbreaks, typically norovirus, for years, and they've actually started to create messages to try and encourage guests not to touch doorknobs directly. For example, a cruise ship has created hundreds of signs saying please use a paper towel for unlocking and opening the toilet door. 
but Roger isn't confident this is the right solution. First, these signs are almost always seen in bathrooms, and they're not seen in the entry doors, ship cabins, hotel doors, or anywhere else. Second, and probably much more important, they are still ignored by many restroom users. Pre-coronavirus CDC data showed that just 31% of men wash their hands after using the restroom. And if you're wondering, it's 65% for women. And it's a good bet that non-hand washers don't stop for a tissue before touching the door handle either. And thirdly, we know that wordy messages like these aren't particularly good at changing behaviour. In fact, even simple psychology-based messages don't work very well as well. One robust study examined 200,000 people using the bathroom. The researchers tested a variety of different nudges to try and increase hand washing, but they found they had minimal impact. The most effective message for men used social proof. Placing a sign that stated, is the person next to you washing their hands with soap, actually increased hand washing from 31% to 35.5%. That's a 14% increase, and it's better than nothing. But overall, compliance remained really low. Rogers suggested using something called the cutie effect to change behaviour. The effect suggests that our brains associate touching with a transfer of negative characteristics. A great example of this comes from the Duke School of Business, and they found that touching a disgusting product, like lard or a hygiene product, before eating something like a cookie, actually made the cookies seem less tasty. So why not apply the same theory to door handles? Roger suggests sticking a small but graphic biohazard symbol on high-touched items. These stickers should create an immediate revulsion that impacts behaviour without the need to read a wordy sentence or to fully comprehend the risks. Applying this approach at supermarkets or on public transport could have a significant impact with very little cost. Okay, on to something slightly different. In 2003, Arizona's petrified forest had a problem. Too many people were stealing petrified wood. Now, petrified wood, if you don't know, is a beautiful crystallised wood which takes millions of years to form and sells for thousands of dollars. To stop the thieves, park rangers erected signs stating that 14 tonnes of wood was stolen each year from the park. But something interesting happened. After placing those signs, the amount of wood being stolen actually increased. Saying that people were stealing 14 tons of wood each year increased the amount of people who actually stole. This is due to something called negative social proof. When a message says that an action is commonplace, people are more likely to follow it, even if it's against the rules. The same phenomenon has been found at dentists who state that hundreds of patients don't turn up on time. That type of message increases the amount of patients who don't turn up. Or even on Wikipedia's page. At the top, they'll often claim that only 2% of their readers donate. This makes that action commonplace and makes people less likely to donate. By stating that negative action is the norm, more people are likely to follow that negative action. Unfortunately, a lot of the UK media coverage appears to be falling foul of the same problem. Last week, Google released a study stating that more people were using parks than in previous years. Now, this headline suggests that people were defying the government advice and going out more than they usually would. The problem is, it wasn't true. 
Google's data might have shown that more people were using parks more, but it also revealed that far fewer people were leaving their homes overall compared to similar periods in previous years. Of course, those that did leave their house were far more likely to use the parks as almost all other facilities are closed, but that didn't mean that people were defying the government advice. Sites like the BBC, Times and Guardian in the UK all published similar articles stating that parks in London were packed with people, or that seaside towns saw thousands of walkers. According to the content analysis platform BuzzSumo, in April so far, 9,000 articles have been written online stating that citizens around the globe are not following government guidelines, while only 500 articles mention citizens that are following the advice. This type of messaging will only lead to negative social proof. This ultimately makes people more likely to feel like that behaviour is okay. Just like in the example of the Amazon forest, people will be more likely to follow the negative action simply because they think it's commonplace. Instead, the UK's media outlets should emphasise that 99% of people are following the rules, staying indoors and not using parks to actually influence behaviour and keep us all at home. Changing the behaviour of a whole nation isn't easy, but it can be done. The events of the last two months have shown that nationwide habit changes are possible, even without some of the harder approaches implemented by Greece, China or Italy. But there's always more to do. Behaviour science shows that messages can be even more impactful if they highlight the harm we could cause to others. Messages are more likely to be remembered when delivered by doctors or industry experts rather than politicians. Handwashing can be increased by highlighting the risks of not doing so, or we could halt the spread of germs with cootie-inspired stickers. Finally, we should praise the majority for following the advice and adhering to social distancing rules, rather than highlighting the few that don't. Doing so will cement the right behaviour rather than making the wrong behaviour seem commonplace. I want to give a huge thank you to John Jury who inspired this episode. You can read his piece and all the other articles referenced in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you'll find a link to the mailing list. If you sign up to the mailing list, you'll get an email from me every time a new episode goes live. You'll also get my personal email address, so if you want to get in touch and ask me a question, you can do so there. And finally, the Nudge podcast is just over one year old this month. It's been really great to see how the podcast has grown. Right now, there are 20,000 of you that have listened in, and that number continues to grow week on week. To help me out and to get even more people listening, I would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference and only takes a few seconds to do. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Nudge.